Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Jill Brooking, and I am here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We both work in benefits compliance for NFP and use this podcast to bring you information about topics that are of interest to employers that have employee benefit plans. Today, we are going to discuss something that is a hot topic right now, as it should be, surprise medical bills. Suzanne, let's start with defining what we mean by surprise medical bills. Okay. Thank you, Jill. And Jill is filling in for Chase Cannon today, who's on vacation with his family. So Jill, we're very excited to have you here. Thank you. And appreciate you doing this. Um, When we talk about surprise medical bills, we're going to talk about it in two ways. First, I'm going to tell you how it arises. And then secondly, talk about the billing itself. Um, But first, you'll see surprise billing comes from um, out-of-network providers that are primarily um, providing services in two, two different situations. One is when a person needs emergency care and they have no ability to select the emergency room that they end up in and they end up in an out-of-network hospital. And then second would be when a patient goes into the hospital that they believe is in-network and they receive uh, services by an out-of-network professional. So for example, Jill, you need surgery, you schedule it at one of your in-network hospitals, you go in and you have your surgery, and you later find out that the anesthesiologist or the radiologist doesn't participate in your health plan network. Um, so this happens because the doctors don't work for the hospitals. So they bill patients separately, and they negotiate with the plans separately. If a provider doesn't participate in the same health plan network that covers the in-network facility, the provider is going to be considered out of network. Um, And to me, this seems unfathomable. It seems like this could have easily been resolved um, because the patient's not in a position in these situations to choose the provider or even really know at that time at the point of service whether they are being serviced by someone who's in network or out of network. Now, if we turn our attention to the billing itself and where it's going to cost the patient more, it comes up in two ways. First, it relates to the difference in copay amounts that could be under your plan. So some plans have a different copay amount for in-network versus out-of-network. For example, the plan may include a 20% copay for in-network and a 40% copay for out-of-network. So there's one differential. And secondly, um, the physician or provider will bill the patient directly for the difference between what they charge and what the plan has paid. The plan usually pays at in-network rate regardless of whether it's negotiated or not. So when the health plans do negotiate discounts with in-network providers, they also require them to accept the negotiated fee as payment in full. So they prohibit balance billing by in-network providers. Um, Out-of-network providers don't have that same limitation by contract, so they are able to balance bill unless something else prohibits it, like a regulation, which we'll talk about later. So this has been a problem for a long time. I remember early in my career, I reviewed claims for a labor union, and we called them A's, R's, and P's, anesthesiologists, radiologists, pathologists, and then there was the ER doctor. And I was always fielding calls from frustrated participants. How did we get here? Right, indeed. I mean, it's extremely frustrating. And the problem is that historically, it's been viewed as a contractual issue between the patients and the providers. Part of what has changed recently is that the providers have become more aggressive in seeking payment directly from the health plan, arguing that they deserve a higher payment consistent with UCR, usual customary and reasonable determinations. So we're starting to see more action now by the states and at the federal level. So before we get to the state and federal solutions, how big of a problem is this? 
Well, I'm going to address that from two different ways. One is from polling. So we address it from how do people perceive the problem? And then another one is looking at actual claims data. Um, so first, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation poll, 38% of those respondents said that they were very worried, and another 29% said that they were somewhat worried. So that's over 60% being worried to some degree about an unexpected medical bill. And then they showed that 4 in 10, so 40% of insured non-elderly adults, said that they received an unexpected medical bill in the past 12 months. So perception is there. Um, a, a significant uh, number of individuals perceive that or are concerned about these unexpected medical bills. And then you look to the actual data. There's a, um, an organization, the Health System Tracker, who reviewed the IBM Market Scan Research Database, and that database includes claims from almost 19 million individuals, so a significant database. And they were able to dice it and slice it and look at how non-network non or out-of-network providers uh, were charging people. And so the data showed that for people in large employer plans, 18% of all emergency visits and 16% of in-network hospital stays had at least one out-of-network charge associated with the care in 2017. That doesn't sound as significant as the um, as the individuals who are worried about this occurring. But of course, if you're one of those individuals, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, and it does show what was interesting is the data shows that the claims varied by state. So for example, um, the data showed that a high degree of variation by state with about a quarter or more of emergency visits in Texas, New Mexico, New York, California, Kansas, and New Jersey resulted in at least one out-of-network charge, while in Minnesota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Alabama, it was less than 5% in those states. So there's a variation in states. Um, and I haven't dug into those uh, laws in those states to see if that's affecting the variation. But again, it's, it's certainly significant enough. Yeah, because a quarter in some states, that's extensive. So with this problem being so large, it seems like something the ACA should have addressed, did it? Well, it should have, and it's, to an extent it tried to. It requires that all non-grandfathered health plans cover emergency services, whether um, the individual goes to an in-network or an out-of-network hospital. And it applies and requires them to apply in-network level of cost sharing when they receive those emergency services. Um, and then the corresponding regulations went on to implement a requirement that the plans pay a reasonable amount for those out-of-network emergency services. And they gave three methodologies, which I won't go into now. But what's important to take away from this is that the ACA did not prohibit balanced billing by facilities or providers for emergency care. And it, the corresponding regulations didn't address at all those non-emergency situations. So those situations when you're going into an in-network facility, but you're provided pathology, radiology, um, anesthesiology by an out-of-network uh, provider. So in non-emergency admissions, the patient is not only at risk of being balanced billed, but also faces that higher cost-sharing issue as well. So the ACA didn't address either issue when it comes to non-emergency situations. Yeah, so for the emergency situations, it does go to the in-network deductible and out-of-pocket. But yeah, I can see that it didn't help in the other situations. So what are the states doing about this as it at least pertains to fully insured plans? Right, and the reason that she mentioned the fully insured plans is because of ERISA, 
um, the any action otherwise for self-insured plans would be preempted. So at the state level, they do have the ability to regulate fully insured plans. And we've seen over time about half the states have some form of protection, but they just don't go far enough. The states are starting to get more aggressive with the regulation. At least nine states have enacted what we would consider a comprehensive approach to, to surprise bills, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Those states would be California, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Maryland, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, and Oregon. And then four more states, New Mexico, Washington, Colorado, and Texas, have enacted more comprehensive bills in 2019, but they haven't gone into effect yet. So when we talk about comprehensive, what we mean is that it goes, it looks at this issue from a number of a different um, angles. For one, um, the, the, state, the comprehensive state laws hold consumers harmless against surprise medical bills. The insurers are required to cover out-of-network claims and apply in-network level of cost-sharing for surprise medical bills. In addition, they prohibit the providers from balanced billing. So you've got it taken care of by the plan on one side and by the providers on the other side. And instead, the out-of-network provider is limited to collecting no more than in-network cost-sharing from patients in the case of a surprise medical bill. So it's in, in other cases, when it's not a surprise medical bill, the providers, if they're out-of-network, are still free to, to charge at those higher rates. Um, and some states also require a notice to the consumers about their rights and protections. So New York, for example, requires state-regulated insurers to include a notice on the EOB statement summarizing the consumer rights regarding surprise medical bills. Um, in other instances, notices give consumer information about where they can file complaints or receive help. Um, in California and New York, out-of-network providers are required to include notice in billing invoices and, and other kinds of written communication that pertains to surprise medical bills that tells them that the consumer is not liable to pay more than the in-network cost-sharing amount. So finally, I think they approach it, the states that are comprehensive, at least, um, look to some type of resolution of the payment amount. Because again, you have those out-of-network providers who have not uh, contractually agreed to a certain rate. So how do we, how do we uh, settle the differences between what the plan wants to pay and what the provider wants to receive. And there's different approaches to this in the states. Some states adopt a payment standard, so it could be a certain percentage of Medicare rates. Other states establish some type of a dispute resolution process between the insurers and the providers so they can arrive at some payment amount when it comes to surprise medical bills. So California surprise medical bill law, for example, requires that managed care plans pay out-of-network providers the greater of 125% of Medicare fee-for-service rates or the average contracted amount the managed care plan pays for the same or similar service in the geographic region. And then what's interesting is New York takes a different approach. They use binding arbitration process to resolve payments disputes, which really gives an incentive to them to resolve it before it gets there because the losing party... So in the binding arbitration, each party submits its best offer, and then the arbiter decides which offer wins. The losing party has to pay the cost of the arbitration, which is, you know, around $300 to $500. Um, but still, that's increasing your, your cost. And so this approach has incentivized both parties to resolve it informally, if at all possible, before it actually gets to the arbitration. And that issue of the build rate 
versus the agreed upon contractual rate. We all get our EOBs and we see that huge discounted amount when right. you go to in-network and it can be quite large, sometimes twice as much. Right. So what is happening at the federal level? Well, and it's necessary at the federal le- federal level because even if the states, as I alluded to earlier, even if they adopted extensive protection, they still won't reach self-insured plans due to ERISA preemption. So federal solutions necessary. Um, there was some movement last year that didn't go anywhere. Then again, in May of this year, President Trump called on Congress to enact bipartisan legislation to end these surprise medical bills. And he called for a prohibition on balance billing for all emergency care and for services from out-of-network providers um, that the patients did not choose themselves. And he also said that the surprise bill protection should apply to all types of health insurance, including group and non-group, which we haven't even discussed. Um, So we're going to focus on, we're we're really tracking about three proposals. There could be others that have cropped up or will crop up. But right now there is one called the 1531 in the Senate, and it was introduced by a bipartisan members of the Senate. Um, There's another bipartisan discussion draft that's been released by the chair and ranking member of the House Energy and Commerce Committee and the chair and ranking member of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pension, which we call the HELP Committee, also introduced a bill, and we'll refer to that one as 1895, and that's its bill number, Senate S-1895. All three of these measures would apply to out-of-network emergency claims. One of the bills would also apply to air ambulance claims, which has apparently also been an issue. Otherwise, none of the others specifically mention any type of emergency transport. All of three measures would also apply to the non-emergency situations provided for by out-of-network providers at in-network hospitals. So again, if you're if you're choosing an out-of-network facility, you're not going to be covered by this. It's only when you've chosen an in-network facility and you you have providers working on you that you didn't choose um, that are out of network that this is going to come into play. So the 1531 and 1895 would apply to non-emergency care provided at non-network facilities if the patient's admitted after receiving emergency care and couldn't be moved without medical transport to an in-network facility. So you've got those three scenarios. You come in in an emergency room, you come in by choice into an in-network facility, or you come into an emergency room and then are admitted into an out-of-network hospital without your choosing. Um, but because it was necessary. So all of those three are covered by at least two of the bills, 1531 and 1895. In all situations, they would hold the patient harmless. All of the bills would require health plans and insurers to cover out-of-network and uh, out-of-network surprise bills and apply the in-network cost sharing. So remember, we talked about surprise bills having two aspects, one the cost sharing differential and one the cost itself differential. All of them would prohibit balance billing, um, and all of the bills would apply to group health plans, whether fully insured or self-insured, and to the individual market as well. Now it comes to the payment, and I think this is really where you're going to see some pushback or a lot of negotiation that occurs, because how do they resolve this issue, again, between what the provider wants for their services and what the plans will pay? And they take different approaches, similar to the state's. Um, 1895 would require health plans to apply the median in-network payment amount for that service within the geographic region. So it does look at it regionally. 1531 also requires health plans and issuers to pay the median in-network rate, but it provides for an independent dispute resolution, IDR, process, if 
the out-of-network provider requests that. So it does have a, a dispute resolution. Similar to an arbitration process, the IDR is independent. Both parties would submit their best offer, and the IDR entity would make the binding decision about which offer prevails, and the non-prevailing party would pay the cost. So there's your incentive. If you have to pay a cost for the other party, if you lose, it gives you an incentive to try to work it out ahead of time. Um, so most recently, when we're talking about, you know, what, what are we watching and what's happened most recently, that 1895, which is the HELP Committee um, bill, they updated their version um, with a committee vote on the bill scheduled now for June 26th, and they updated it after having a, a, a hearing on the 19th. So they did adopt that benchmark approach to addressing the issue of, of how the payment amount is resolved. Um, initially, the draft had those three different approaches of having the in-network guarantee for all providers at in-network facilities. Secondly, the dispute resolution via arbitration. Or third, using a benchmark at the federal level. And what they chose in the final bill was that benchmark approach. Well, it seems like this issue is finally being recognized as a serious one. And hopefully there'll be some relief in the future for participants and we will keep watching it. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Jill. As we like to say on the podcast, it's that's a wrap. A wrap.